can't can't still can't trust the weather. It's twenty twenty four, and you still can't <laughs> trust the weather. Meteorology. You can be wrong most of the time and not lose your job, right? How we're in the wrong business, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's. Um, I mean, the other is legal too. I was gonna say it's legal divination, but it's um, it's more it's accepted divination. It's popular divination. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole like magic is just science we don't understand yet, which is, I believe, a quote from the first Thor movie, and not like any sort of a philosophical treatise, but. I feel like meteorology is more like a find the queen card game. We do understand and we don't necessarily trust it. Uh, I thought you were going to say it's magic that we haven't scienced yet. <laughs> or, uh, no, now, it's science there, that we haven't magicked yet. That's it. Why don't we employ more wizards, right? Like if there was a meteorological <laughs> academy that was based entirely on, like like the cheese lady that I interviewed, right? Give me weather divination. Give me some hedge witch somewhere who like through studying the animals and pains in her kneecaps and things like this can tell you when it's going to snow. That one I want. Do I yep. want some fat guy on uh am you know or not am but like morning show nbc news here in chicago going i don't know there's a 50 percent chance that whatever i say is going to be 100 percent wrong i don't need that give me the witch well whether people basically get paid to tell us what to wear without us having to go to the door and opening it up that part's fair yeah so how long until they get completely replaced by the alexas and the um smart home kind of stuff where you just say what should i wear today and not even worry about the weather because you're going to glean that information from the answer yeah i'm writing down weather which <laughs> a million years ago at my very first job my boss realized that i had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants and he took me aside and he said randall you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. I, f I think all uh, meteorologists that are on air should be required to dress like Merlin. Um, <laughs> Big staff. Yeah, and yeah. fake beard and the pointy hat, the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be better. I'm sure this is being done somewhere in some, like local news program where it's not a weather report it is a here's what to wear today report yeah well so here's a question and i can segue this uh Sweet. it what wh what uh could a meteorologist wear that would make them seem more credible to you like what what would what would they be wearing and you'd be like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna trust this person I'm with you on the wizard gear. I want a, a dark blue robe. Hooded robe, but hood down, you know, for the broadcast. Dark blue hooded robe. Classic stars and moons on it, but yes, also yes. clouds, also lightning bolts. <laughs> and maybe the whole back of it is a tornado. And then they've got a staff that has like a weather vane at the top of it. You know, like the chicken that turns into the wind. They should probably have a dog. <laughs> like a big fluffy like an english uh english setter or something like that you know i'm all for the the robe being made of the green screen so that it's very magical they're like let's look at the weather day they raise their arms and it turns into the weather map <laughs> and then yeah. that's how they, they have to do it like on themselves so segue being you walk into a restaurant 
Yeah. You catch a glimpse of the chef. They're not like there to greet you or anything like that. You just happen to notice them as they're walking from one side of the restaurant to the other or whatever. What about them either tells you that um, this is going to be a good experience or what about them tells you this is not going to be a good experience by based on that glimpse, if anything. Excellent place to start. Let's hop right into the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And I've got hot takes about this, Steve. So let me start by saying that in this country, at least, nearly everybody working in the back of the house is Latino, right? When my wife and I first moved to Chicago, we went to this amazing Japanese sushi place down on South Michigan called Oishi, which is Japanese for delicious. And uh, the sushi chefs, there were two of them, were Japanese, which gave me a sense of uh, these fellas understand what they're doing, right? Everybody else in the kitchen was Latino, which gave me a sense of, oh, sweet. They know what they're doing to the point where they're hiring the folks that I would hire. Awesome. So here's the problem. And here's the problematic answer to that, Steve. Too much of what chefs are doing in this country right now is for show. Like your thing about the... Um, would you have vegan donuts that were entirely for Instagram and didn't taste very good or potato donuts or something like that? Right? Yeah, yeah. Too much of it is that, right? So if I walk into a restaurant and the chef is a mid-30s white guy wearing not a chef coat, but one of those snap front dishwasher jacket things that's short sleeve. He's got just a disgusting mess of sleeve tattoos that don't have any cohesion at all. It's just a mess. <laughs> it's just a, it looks like children doodled on him, right? But not that charming. And he's tweezing some shit onto a plate. I automatically know that I'll probably have an okay time there, but I'm going to pay about 40% more than I want to. And they probably have an ice chef. <laughs> right? <laughs> if I walk in and I don't see the chef, but I see one of the cooks come out, white chef coat, but it's dirty, sleeves rolled up to the elbows, and he or she are getting themselves a drink from the pop gun into a deli, like a quart deli container, I'm in for a good time. <laughs> I know that these are working working folks. So but it also, I mean, it, it, it depends too, because we talk about, uh, on this show a lot, we talk a lot about expectations sort of, but you can weaponize expectation, where it's like if you go to a burger place and your expectation is I can get a vegan pasta, you've done it wrong. You've walked into the wrong building, and that's yeah. your fault as a customer. So as I walk into a place, if I happen to know it's a Pakistani couple who opened a coffee shop, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see a Pakistani couple in their coffee shop. And if I see that, well, then I'm like, well, cool. I'm already getting what I expected, right? So there's a bit of that, too. Are, is there anything that would be a red flag for you when you just, like I said, it's not not like they were out doing anything, but they um, had to go. That Maybe they left something on a table and they ran out to get it to go back or whatever, you know. So it's not like they're out there performatively speaking, but um, you see them. Is there anything about the kitchen staff that would be a red flag to you no because restaurant kitchen staff behavior is so wild anyway that like even if i heard arguing i would just be like oh it's wednesday you know like <laughs> i don't i don't know and let's let's say so this this gets into a little bit of the difference between professionalism in other industries versus in mine right if i arrive and the chef in my head this is a mid-30s white guy he is out there leaning on the bar, clearly flirting with the bartender to lots and lots of other people. That'll look unprofessional. And to me, it's like, oh, it's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this, this is this is how we behave in the industry. I'm not saying it's right, but this is how we behave. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I think about when I go into places like that, anybody I see, 
I sort of compare them to the people they look the most like who I've worked for, right? Do they look like this chef? Do they look like this chef? And then I automatically judge them based on that, you know? So if I've worked for a very tall guy who was kind of a prima donna, who never wanted to get his hands dirty, spent a lot of time in the front of the house schmoozing tables and stuff like that, if I see somebody doing similar things like that when I first walk in, I'm going to be like, oh, Nick is here. Great, you know? Okay. So let's say you show up for an interview or you show up for your first day even. And chef hands you your uniform, and it is a denim chef coat and um, uh, pants that match and suede shoes. And he's like, "This is what we all wear." So this, I've I've applied to work at the Jay Leno Bistro. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, does that that tells you something, right? It, I mean, because yeah. you don't suede suede is not going to be great. And if they're no. if they're maintaining suede shoes, they're obviously doing something wrong, right? Or, or not doing some things. Well, they're definitely not working in the restaurant that we devised where there's like an inch of water on the floor with Epsom salts and it and everybody works barefoot. <laughs> that, what, what did we call that? Was it just, ah. Uh... <laughs> right. I mean, at the Jay Leno Bistro, everything's served on like a vintage hubcap, right? <laughs> this, this goes away from plates. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. While I am a traditionalist in a very weird, specific to me sort of way, like, I am a white chef coat, sleeves rolled up to my elbows, you know, um, sharpie and pen in my left shoulder pocket kind of a guy, right? Um, a bib up apron, but folded over and tied at my waist so the bib's not up because I hate stuff on the back of my neck. Uh, black chef pants, clogs, or work boots. That's my thing. These days I wear a black chef coat because that's the uniform that my job gives us. But, like, that's my thing. So when you get these hipster douchebag chefs who are like, oh, well, I just wear a snap front dish jacket. A, I don't know why they're doing that. B, it's like what you said. They lose the automatic sort of badge of office authority. We were talking to my with my kids about this recently, which is, like, uh, you can gain authority and respect through what you do. But if it's somebody who doesn't know what you do, when, they, when I first am, am viewed as chef ben at my job and it's the apron it's the jacket it's the hat it's the clogs and the pants and the whole thing if i say something to someone who's never met me they're more likely to trust my expertise on food as opposed to if i was wearing cut off jean shorts and a white tank top right? yeah yeah so i feel like it's a uniform for a reason and if you want to automatically have a baseline my respect, if you want to start it like a B plus, you'll be in that uniform. Now, having said that, it's not comfortable. It hasn't been updated in 400 years. And so there are people out there doing really good work with different designs of aprons, different designs of chef coats, people just cooking in t-shirts, whatever. But if you want my baseline respect from the jump, you're going to be in that uniform. At, in a restaurant you're not wearing that at a barbecue place you're not wearing that particular thing at a sushi restaurant so there are different rules for that sort of thing yeah and, and we've talked uh or you've mentioned it's been a while i guess but uh about stopping by the grocery store or something on your way home or your way uh yeah or your way to work yeah. or whatever and then people just asking you questions because you're in your gear yeah and be like oh uh, pardon me would you <laughs> recommend or whatever 
Right, and there's a difference. I get two different kinds of questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you work in the industry, I'm going to recommend that you never go into a grocery store <laughs> in your Chef Whites because this will happen to you. It's also kind of cocky to do that. I do it on purpose because I just don't. I'm lazy. I'm not going to change out of my work clothes to get into my car to drive to a grocery store, then pick my daughter up, then go home and have to take those clothes off, take a shower. Now I've dirtied two entire outfits. So I just pick her up in my chef clothes if i go to a store there are two different kinds of approaches that i get one of which is like i had a lady come up to me and she had two blocks of cheese in her hand she looks at me and she goes can i ask you a question i was like yeah sure she goes my grandson it's the first time he's ever had pasta do i give him parmesan or do i give him romano and i was like that is a really really interesting question i said parmesan is a little bit milder it's a little bit less salty romano's got a strong flavor it's a little saltier it might freak him out she goes thank you and that was it the other question I get is, hey, where's the applesauce? And I'm like, I don't <laughs> I don't fucking work here. So why don't you get away from me? Is this how you treat people? Uh, I got somebody thrown out of a grocery store once for that. So like, <laughs> it's all down to how you treat people. If, if anybody in the world, if you see me out at a grocery store in my chef coat, if you come up to me and you're like, hey, can I ask you a question? I will answer your question. But if you just say, hey, and then bark a question at me, oh, no, no, no. You're getting, instead of peace of my mind, that's what you're getting. You're not getting an answer. See, n there's no way they would have followed you, but you should have taken them over to the produce section, filled their basket with apples, and then gone over to the canning section and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like just given them all the stuff to make applesauce. Right. There you go. There you go, my friend. Enjoy. But so as much as I complain about that, I am doing it to myself. I am going to a grocery store dressed like a chef. So, yeah, like it's like going to a crime scene dressed like a cop. The, the, the press who are there are going to ask you questions, right? Like, yeah, okay. So if you and your friends, listener, uh, want to discredit all the chefs in your area, buy some chef outfits and go to grocery stores, grocery stores and recommend terrible things to people oh, yeah. when, they, yeah. when they ask you. And you'll discredit the entire restaurant industry in your neighborhood. And what's funny is like I, I have a long held belief, a, a, a tenant of the, the, the structure of my beliefs for myself. I never will write or say anything that I won't put my name on. Right. It keeps me in check. And my chef coat has my full name on it. So if anybody gets too pissed off, like, they can see my whole ass name on my coat. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to bark back at people if they bark at me. It's also the dark side of the golden rule, Steve, which is treat others how you want to be treated. If you come up to me and you go, hey, where's the applesauce? You can expect me to say, hey, right back and then tell you some stuff. Because <laughs> that's how you've explained to me that you want to be treated. Good times. <laughs> Again, I try to be as helpful as I can. It happens. And and it doesn't even have to be in uniform. Like, people get chatty in grocery stores. And if they see you really going through the apples and finding the best ones, people will ask you, like, hey, what are you looking for? What what makes a good apple? How do you how do you choose? Right? I've had that discussion a hundred times in stores. It's fine. <laughs> I hate apples. I'm looking for the worst apples <laughs> to turn the rest of my family off to apples. <laughs> I'm only getting the shittiest ones. <laughs> These are revenge apples. <laughs> Revenge Amples, I believe, are made by horses. Right. Or it's the title of our first cozy mystery. Oh, oh I like it. 
Man, I sent you that shelf that I saw. We were, ladies and gentlemen, so obviously we took a break because it's Christmas time, New Year's Eve time. Uh, it's about to be Three Kings Day in a couple of days. A lot of stuff going on. And I was traveling. And so uh, it's been a minute since we've recorded, but I was up at a lovely, lovely bookstore in Traverse City, Michigan called Horizon. If you're ever up there, it's at the far west end of town, I or east end of town. I highly recommend it. Man, they had a massive shelf of these cozy mysteries, which until you mentioned them, Steve, I never would have noticed. Yeah. But <laughs> laziest... Laziest titles I've ever seen oh, of any of these things. Uh, let me uh, just bring up a couple of these because I sent Steve a picture of the whole uh, shelf. And these books are titled things like uh, Fudge Cupcake Murder, Cream Puff Murder, Chocolate Cream Pie Murder, Blackberry Pie Murder, Blueberry <laughs> Muffin Murder. Right? Like, these are simply baked goods with murder after them there's not even like maiming or mauling in there anywhere it's just chocolate chip cookie murder lemon cream pie murder <laughs> pumpkin pie murder you know that Is sort this, of thing i i sincerely hope um with the names like this that that is the method of murder like each one of these gotta like, be yeah it's the blueberry muffin is the murder weapon um mystery solved yeah <laughs> shortest book ever because yeah that is that's there's nothing punny about that you're just you just went through a cookbook and you pointed at yeah. something and at, put murder after it and wrote wrote your story and i've seen good work done with murder mysteries there is a lady i forget her name now who wrote a series of books that were all alphabetized right a is for arson right like that was how these books went i think that might be actually one of the titles that's fine that is a lot further way to go than just writing blueberry muffin murder yeah you know? What if I mean, one of them was accidental? What if it was like chili homicide? <laughs> I, I think even like blueberry murder muffin is a better <laughs> better title than blueberry muffin murder. All you have to do is change the order of those words and it gets so much better. Yeah, chocolate murder pie. I mean well, Right, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely that that uh, piques my interest more than chocolate pie murder. I was like, wait, yeah. are you murdering the chocolate pie? I don't understand. I was about to say, so there there are times when I felt like oh, I could really murder a chocolate pie right now. Yeah. Uh, that's not nefarious. That's just me wanting to eat a lot of chocolate pie. Right. Right. So, like, yeah, I need clarification. Yeah. Chili cheese murder dog. That's a book I would read. <laughs> it's also a gang, I think. The chili cheese murder dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh spoilers we watched a lot of corner gas while we were up visiting my dad so i've been re-inoculated with corner gas stuff um so also this and this could i think be translated into a title or at least some sort of murder weapon is the uh photo you took to me i presume at an antique shop of miller's herb extract and lack and laxative compound for years called herb juice and laxative yeah. compound <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you're new to the show, welcome. I do have a soft spot for antiques and thrift stores because old kitchen equipment. I, Steve, I hate to admit that we're to this age, but like things used to be built to last, right? And now you, your phone needs a new battery every eight months. Um, however, it is definitely worth going to antique stores just to see the insane shit they have. Like Miller's Herb Extract and Laxative Compound. For years called Herb Juice and Laxative Compound. Uh, so they're the same size on the bottle, herb extract and herb juice, with a whole bunch of very, very small uh, things as well. This is the difference between medicine these days, Steve, and medicine back in the day. The 
very first thing that they list on here is 11% alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> this Miller's herb extract is 22 proof, right? This counts as a wine. Uh, the liquid is the extract from the dried herbs and not the juice. Um, yeah, that's an explanation for the for the change in title uh, in yeah. name, which I think is also like when do you see that today? It's like okay, look, we're not calling them Twinkies anymore because uh, it has a strange connotation in some circles. So we're yeah. we're calling them now um, uh, cake boners um, <laughs> or or whatever. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, so they explained to you herb extract and laxative compound for years called herb juice and laxative compound, but the liquid is extracted from the dried herbs and not the juice. So basically saying like we, herb juice was, we shouldn't have been calling it herb juice because we're not squeezing the herbs and getting the juice. What we're doing is we're extracting liquid from dried herbs, which seems impossible, but whatever. (laughs) How do you extract liquid from a dried herb, Ben? The very great question. I do not know the answer to that. (laughs) So the I mean it must be they steep it like a tea and then yeah, yeah, throw eleven yeah. percent grain alcohol into it. <laughs> uh, they don't list the herbs, which is hilarious. But at the very bottom of this label, it does say manufactured only by Herb Juice Medicine Company, Jackson, Tennessee. So they changed the name of the uh, item, but not the name of the company. Yes, and isn't Tennessee is isn't like uh, one of the one of the whiskeys? No, there's K- bourbon, Tennessee bourbon. Bourbons in Kentucky. Okay, so what's isn't there something in t- Tennessee? I feel like um, th- this is really just the dregs of the Jim Beam factory <laughs> that they pour I into mean, this. Tennessee, I think, is known for rye whiskey, but I don't know that for sure. I feel like there's something in Tennessee. So yeah. I do love that they've on the directions. You know, it says take a, tea, a tablespoon of this uh, if you are constipated. Take a tablespoon of this quote herb extract. It doesn't say which herbs. Could be mint. Could be cilantro. Could be basil. Could be anything. That's 11% alcohol. And uh, if that doesn't work, take more. If it works too well, take less. Those are in the instructions here. <laughs> For a child four years old, half teaspoonful. Uh, so it doesn't say don't give to babies. It says just don't, you know, don't load them up. On yeah, them. yeah. They're they're small. They get drunk quicker. Um, it does say an agreeable laxative prepared by a combination of herbs, barks, and leaves. It doesn't say from, so I can only imagine that <laughs> there's... Some sentient herbs, barks, and leaves that are creating this from their fallen comrades. Now, it could be similar to Swedish bitters, which is used medicinally for roughly the same thing. So it's probably something like that. Birch bark contains the same active compound as like aspirin, things like that. So could actually have some medicinal quality. I did not buy this bottle. The bottle itself was about 20 bucks. It is three quarters full of whatever this liquid is from hundreds of years ago. If it was empty, I would have bought it. If it was also, if it was cheaper. But I'm not bringing suspect herb juice into my house, (laughs) right? Like, the bottle is hilarious. The juice looks dangerous. See, this is a murder mystery. We already have a suspect. Herb juice. (laughs) Herbert Juice. (laughs) Known to his friends as Herb Juice. Um, I, I, the... There a couple. There's probably more than two types. There's probably at least three types of laxative. Um, there's the kind that's like um, so um, certain foods that you eat that yeah. because of the way that your digestive system works loosens things up. It's that's like not co- chowing coffee. Yeah, coffee. Um, yeah, and coffee is a uh, uh, removes. Um, it's a diuretic. That's it. Diuretic. Um, 
Then there is like what I had to do before the procedure, which is basically salt water, yeah. um, salt tablets. Because and the reason you don't drink salt water is because um, it, it your body rejects it and goes right through you, right? Yep. So it dehydrates you. It doesn't hydrate you. And then there is what I presume this is, which is you put it in your body and your body's like, this shouldn't be here. Which way's <laughs> which way's the quickest? It doesn't realize it until it's actually in your intestines, and then your body's like, up, oh, quick exit, quick exit. Right. Poison. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that the difference between medicine and poison is always dosing. Right, so, like, for the most part, a medicine is something that tricks your body into doing a thing, and a poison is a thing that tricks your body into dying. <laughs> it's roughly, uh, it's amount-based. Yes, yeah. Man, that was, it was unfortunate, though, the, um... Uh... I keep saying thrift store. The antique store we went to in Traverse City, I was hoping to find, like, some sort of a potato masher or just some sort of a trinket, a thing, a, a, a lobster-shaped copper jello mold. You know, some sort of a thing. Found yeah. nothing except for that one bottle of extract, and I just thought, nope, I'm not buying this thing. This <laughs> is dangerous. Yes. Although, having it in your car in case you ever run out of gas might be all right. <laughs> right. Right. Except it's one of those where you'd have to, like, get into the engine and pour it straight into the carburetor or something, right? Yeah, yeah. That's not going right in the tank, I don't think. No. Yikes. All right. So anything that you uh, encountered during the Christmas and New Year's break that you feel uh, we should chat about or no? Do you have any culinary adventures? Um, You know, I don't... I don't think so. We've made, um, Kayla made another Huntington fidget pie. I believe we talked about that last year from our leftover yeah. ham. So we've got some more of that. Still good. Still um, very interesting recipe. Thank you, Vincent Price. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're finding creative ways to deal with the giant ham that we had from, uh, it was one of the ones we bought from the um, close to expired food oh, yeah. uh, thing um, that we've had, we had in our freezer. So it was it was bigger than we probably would have purchased just for us. So we have a lot, we still have a lot of ham. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We, I, so it's, um, three Kings day, Saturday. And do you celebrate three Kings day epiphany? Uh, no, not, not okay. with stuff in the Puerto Rican tradition, which is my wife's family. Three Kings day, you put out a little bit of water and grass. You go outside and in colder years, you would dig underneath the snow and get some grass for the three Kings camels. Right. It's the same as leaving out cookies and milk for Santa. And then the three kings would put little presents in your shoes. Charming. Lovely little holiday. And there is a, a culinary tradition to it as well where you make what's called pernil, which is this big honking pork shoulder bone in. You poke it full of holes and you stuff those holes with garlic and you roast it on a rotisserie and whatever. We're doing something similar. I have two boneless pork shoulders that I'm going to smoke. I have... Uh, oh, nice. Because it's nice enough out in Chicago... I can fire up the smoker. It's 15 pounds of pork, Steve. <laughs> I marinated it yesterday. So yesterday was Wednesday. This is going to sit on the marinade Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday, I'm going to smoke it kind of all day. So it's a three-day marinade of fresh chopped garlic, lemon juice, a little bit of oil, and uh, sasson. My wife picked up some sasson, which is a very particular seasoning mix that's got paprika and cumin and oregano and stuff like that in it. Black pepper. Uh, and fresh cilantro. I rubbed the outside of the, the pork shoulders with that, poked it full of holes, put fresh garlic in there as well. So Saturday morning, I'm going to get up early and fire up the smoker. We also make a thing called arroz con gandules, which is rice with pigeon peas, which 
is kind of an involved thing. You take ham, dice it up, fry that off with a little bit of oil, and then put more sasson in there with uh, onions and garlic, and then you fry the rice in that. You put tomato sauce on it, you put chicken stock on it, and you put the pigeon peas in there and just cook it all down, like, forever. And it always makes too much. It always <laughs> makes way too much. The bummer this year is that the leftovers of all of that are tremendous, you know. I won't be here Sunday because I have to work Sunday because we go back to work on Monday and there's like this big meeting of fancy schmance people at the school where I work all day Sunday. It's a planning committee, budgeting, I don't know, say people we want to keep happy, I guess. Yeah, And yeah. so I'll be there all day putting out a breakfast with coffee, putting out an AM snack, putting out the lunch they ordered, putting out a PM snack, cleaning up in between, it's only 40 people. I'm going to be there for nine hours on Sunday. <laughs> it is going to be so expensive and labor, they're going to be really mad at me, and I don't care because my time has value. However, what they don't know is I'm going to be using most of my downtime to prep for Monday. So that's going to be great. <laughs> I'm not going, to, not going to be walking into the shop on Monday, you know, flat-footed, which is going to be right. awesome. But yeah, we're also, there's not a really good vegetable associated with Three Kings Day. So we're doing tostones, which is the fried uh, underripe plantains. And I'm making a mojo, which is garlic and cilantro and orange juice and olive oil. And uh, yeah, dinner Saturday is going to be great. Uh, we have found, and some some of this, I mean, if none of it sounds like anything that you'd, you'd be like, well, I don't know what else to do with this because it all sounds delicious. But um, Kayla did make some uh, ham... Uh, ham dirty rice nice with um some of the uh organ meat from the turkey yeah from before and the ham and stuff and the recipe said you can just not tell your friends that there's organ meat in this and uh <laughs> you know depending on how you feel about them or whatever um but i knew that that was an ingredient in dirty rice anyway because i'd had some yeah. somewhere without realizing it and i was like this is pretty good and then it was like oh this is what's in here um anyway uh, we put chili on top of that the other day, oh, nice. and it was very good. But the moral of the whole story is we found or that that a lot of leftovers just basically turn into chili or can be thrown in a chili and yeah. end up being really good chili. There's no chance we're going to eat 15 pounds of smoked pork on Saturday. 15 pounds, if you're figuring eight ounces per person, I would be happy to serve this you know, with a margin for error to about 25 people. There's four of us in my house. Four people, only two of those people are adults. Now, what my daughter and I have been talking about is she wants to make empanadas out of some of them, which is fine. She loves making empanadas, so we can do that. And we can even cook some of them, but then raw, put them right in the freezer. Same thing with the rest of the shredded pork. Like, once we have it all pulled apart, we can put it into freezer bags, just throw it in the freezer. And anytime we want to do pulled pork, boom, pull some of that out of the freezer good to go so i feel pretty good about this this is more of the bulk cooking that i like to do which is how do i take a huge thing that i got at costco for not much money and make it into like 10 meals yeah you know? and that's that's what we're gonna do yeah it's fun i i never um i don't mind the uh post-holiday uh leftover creativity yeah well the other thing is that so there's this thing that happens with arroz con gandules which is the bottom part of the pot of rice gets kind of crispy at the bottom it's called the pegao right and according to my wife she and her siblings used to fight over it right they, they wanted the pegao after it's cooled down and you go to reheat it the next day if you reheat it in a cast iron skillet you can make it into like this sort of a patty you can make it into like a cake that's just pegao on all sides if you flip it right so that's my favorite thing to do <laughs> Keep that nice. rice up the next day. 
So when I do get home Sunday, I mean, we'll just have Saturday's dinner again Sunday. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to heat up a big bunch of it in a cast iron skillet and then serve it probably like in wedges. (laughs) (laughs) So it's pizza, basically, is what you're saying. It's a Puerto Rican pizza. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to follow me on socials, you will see this over the next couple of days. So you can find me at Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. You can find us uh, on Facebook if you look for In the Weeds with Ben Randall. If you want to be part of the conversation, if you have uh, things you want to add to it, in fact, if you celebrate Three Kings Day and want to let us know what your traditions are, you can email us, intheweedswbr at gmail.com. And Steve also runs a website for us. Intheweedswbr.com. And, uh, yeah, it's you always know when I'm on break because you will see lots more pictures <laughs> as opposed to when I'm working. <laughs> like, we were up in Traverse City to visit my folks, and my wife wanted to get ice cream, which I thought... It's 31 degrees out. It's like 7 o'clock at night, so it's pitch black out. It's super dark. Ice cream. Well, there's a place up in Traverse City that you've probably heard of. It doesn't really matter where you are. You've probably heard of it. It's called Moomers. And it's some of the best ice cream you can get. And so we looked it up, and it was the 30th of December. It was their last full day being open. So we went and got ice cream. The next day, they were open from 11 to 3, and then they're closed until March. So we really got in at, like, the second to last minute. And uh, really good ice cream still. You know, had a great yeah. time. You know, Kayla and I went into an ice cream place that probably wasn't there in Montpelier when you were there. Uh, this has been a few years ago now when we were visiting Vermont. But um, uh, it was also, it must have been, maybe it was October. So maybe it wasn't this this early slash late in the year. But it was cold. Yeah. And we went in and I made some kind of joke about, yeah, I was like, uh, so you've been, you've been real busy or something like that? Because it wasn't. And yeah. the the... The um, probably teen that was working there looked at me like I was a complete idiot, um, <laughs> and was like, "No, <laughs> like, yeah." So, so evidently Vermont, which you'd think Vermont with uh, Ben and Jerry's being right, not too far away, would be like, "Yeah, ice cream all year, ice cream all year." But this place, maybe it was because it was weird, fancy ice cream. You know, like, "Hey, we're doing weird things with ice cream." Ah, uh, I I feel like those are more credible. Um, calling back to what you were saying about the donuts, because it's it, it's difficult to make an Instagram ice cream, isn't it? Right. A lot of times when you see ice cream in photos, it's not ice cream. Yeah. So food stylists will tell you it's almost always Crisco that has been dyed and had, had stuff added to it because it makes a better scoop than actual ice cream does. Um, and probably melts at a higher temperature so you can have lights oh, yeah. on and stuff if need be. Yeah. Uh, now, the picture I took of my ice cream that I had, I had like one second to get a great picture of it. It took an okay <laughs> picture, you know. Yeah. Well, that and you were just showing off that you were having it, not necessarily, yeah. ooh, this is, a, this is a very photogenic ice cream. <laughs> right, right. It's also hard to get ice cream in natural light because, like you just said, it starts melting immediately. Yeah. See, so it, unless it's this time of year, and now is when you need to be taking the ice cream oh, pictures. Yeah, there you go outside in a bowl you know uh, sitting in a snowbank yeah actually you know what that would be a rad picture <laughs> a picture of a bowl <laughs> of ice cream in a snowbank all right we, we need to now i'm gonna have to look up and see if there's actually like an instagram for ice cream that like there are people just taking ice cream photos oh, gotta be instagram is so granular these days like you'll get people who are like all i do is take pictures of new york style pizza in april like okay that's weird but all right (laughs) and i take so many that i could post them all year (laughs) yeah yeah anyway um 
so that yeah. was my trip. We really didn't do much else because there's no snow in Traverse City this year because of you know climate change a little bit but also because it's an el nino year that's compounded by some other there's like a four-year el nino cycle and then there's like a 20-year cycle of this other weather phenomenon and they're both hitting at the same time so yeah it's still bone dry no snow on the ground it was mid 30s lower 40s the whole time we were up there and uh so my kids were sort of bummed out there wasn't anything to do but you know we did our downtown sweep we got fudge we bought a bunch of books we had lunch at uh Fulgarelli's because you can't not and uh that was pretty much our trip nice hey the greatest hits is always good yeah yeah and i'm 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 becoming okay with the idea of not having much snow this year like i'm i i think i'd be okay with it we did get a little snow it was snowing a little bit i drove up to my folks the other day because i forgot to take something up to them um when we went up for to visit and um it was kind of snowing, but not like the road's going to get slick kind of snow. It's just yeah. the, uh, this isn't going to last long. So, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Yeah. So now, before we get into any of these articles that I've sent you recently, and it turns out that I accidentally set food safety news as junk, and so I had about 15 of them in my junk mail, which is why I <laughs> sent you a bunch today. I felt like maybe they were on a break, too, or something, but no, I was just accidentally sending them to junk, so I fixed that. Uh, but before we get into any of that, I did want to just say this is more like a PSA than anything else. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like I say this every year, but it's worth repeating that like right now, there's a dip all of January that really... So retail takes a dip because everybody spent a bunch of money over Christmas. People spent a bunch of money doing New Year's Eve parties, whatever. And so if you have a favorite mom and pop, small business, locally owned kind of a thing, this is the time to take care of them. If you want them to stick around, because there is a big dip January into February. And depending on the place, maybe they'll rebound around uh, Valentine's Day. If it's a bakery, if it's a coffee shop, if it's a maker's market of any sort, right, where you might buy a Valentine's Day present. However, right now is the time to patronize those folks to keep them in the black so that they will stick around to do the thing that you value, right? So this is the time to show them that we my daughter and I, before we recorded today, my daughter and I went to go buy supplies for our Three Kings Day stuff. We swung by this bakery that she and I love. And I was actually happy to see that they were closed because there was a potential they were going to be closed today because they had so many Three Kings Day special orders. They did not have enough people to actually just do retail too. That's great. So I was not bummed out at all that they were not open for me to go in there and buy fucking cookies or whatever. You know, <laughs> They're doing fine. But this is the time. This is the time to go to your small coffee shop, your small bakery, whatever it is, and, and uh, sling them a little scratch so that they can still operate when you need them next. Yeah. Um, it's kind of speaking of, how did, the, uh, how did the tea go over? The one you got for my wife? Yes. Yeah, she loved it. She thought it was great. The little test tubes that they came in are super cute. Yeah, that was uh, that was a little place here in Niles, uh, Apotheca Teas, I believe Ooh. is what it was is called, and they they had a whole bunch of tea flights, um, is what they were calling those, and and there was one I don't think I got it, but one was um, uh, it was maybe uh, millennial tea flight or something like that and it was um all all the names were like uh i'm depressed and something something and like they had a lot of fun making them and they so they put I, i'm assuming it's just one cup of tea per test tube right. um and then they put it put put the tea in a test tube put a cork in it and they had like uh i mean it looks like contraband but uh it was very fun um <laughs> The Apotheca Tea, that's another store where the person who was behind the counter should be wearing a, a sorcerer's robe 
and have a crow stapled to their shoulder or something. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty close. I think they were wearing regular stuff, but it's it's steampunk themed kind of inside. Yeah. So there's a lot of like mechanical stuff and uh, things you can crank to turn things. To it's it's a very atmospheric, uh, cool kind of place. And here in Niles, of all places. Wild. Do you want to transition from millennial tea to avocado toast? Oh, yeah, we should. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't know this fella's name, likely. You probably don't know the name Bill Granger. However, you do know the legacy that this guy will be leaving. He died very recently. Uh, only, Well, actually, he died um, Christmas Day. And uh, he was only 54 years old. He is... So this is uh, from the Washington Post. Quote, Bill Granger, Australian chef who put avocado toast on the menu, dies at 54. There is no cause of death listed. Um, he died, uh, quote, peacefully on Christmas Day with his wife and three daughters by his side. So this fella lived, grew up in Australia, put avocados on toast, and then died at 54. Like, this is the entirety of his legacy. He invented the thing that boomers claim makes it impossible for millennials to buy houses. Right? This is what <laughs> yeah. this guy is leaving behind himself. And the thing that... So, initially, when I saw the headline, I'm like, why Why would he be claiming that he invented it? But it doesn't... The article, though... You sent me the New York Times article, but it says... Uh, um, oh, I just, just had it... Um, that he's that the restaurant is often credited with creating so it's yeah. not like it, it it wasn't necessarily a claim they were making it's just like this is what a lot of people believe that they were the, one of the first places to do it so which i find i find more credible than self-proclaimed um creators so yeah avocado well, on so toast i didn't even realize it was australian neither did i so i'm learning all sorts of things uh, this dude did what I've talked about doing for the longest time. He just opened up a diner and said, I do amazing diner food, right? So, quote from this Washington Post article, After dropping out of art school in 1993, Granger moved to Sydney and opened his first restaurant, Bill's, which became known for its fresh style of breakfast and brunch fare. A self-taught cook, he went on to find success as a global restaurateur and food writer in a career that spanned more than three decades. When he was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia just this past year, 2023, for services to tourism and hospitality, one Australian newspaper joked that the honor was for, quote, services to avocado on toast. And, uh, yeah, it, it, this, this article claims that his version of avocado toast was the first recorded sighting of avocado toast on a menu. So this is one of those things I guess people had been doing. But this dude was the first one who was like, we're going to offer this as a menu option. And he didn't stop there. This guy said, we're going to start with toast that's got avocado spread on it. And then here's a list of other crap you can put on top of there. Sprouts and sauces and, and, and relishes and stuff like that. And so it wasn't even a menu item as much as it was like a, a whole part of a menu. It was a whole menu category for him. Yeah. I don't know what it would be like to wake up in the morning as someone who invented avocado toast. Like, what is your first thought? in the day right because so much has been made fun of avocado toast but a, even the people who make fun of it are still kind of like i could go for some avocado toast right now <laughs> yeah because i've had it i've had toast i've had avocados i've had them together great i don't see necessarily why they're so expensive 
because I do know what toast and avocados cost. And as much as I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for like restaurant food should cost more, avocado toast is out of control. Like if you're getting a piece of avocado or two pieces of avocado toast with some stuff on it and it's like 15 bucks, like come the fuck on. No way. Well, th- that's how they make up for the small margins in other places. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's absolutely that. Um, and I, I do wonder, uh, he doesn't uh, seem like he was the type of person that would do this, but I do wonder if there's the type of person uh, culinarily that had they been the ones that were like created avocado toast or were the first to put it on the menu, um, that, that they were always then trying to outdo themselves. So every other month or every other week when you win it was something else on toast <laughs> octopus toast <laughs> yes and then it's like oh that one wasn't a winner what's next but they were like just stuck on toast so everything was always on toast because they thought that was this yeah. is going to be the next big thing it's stuff on toast i'm shocked to discover that it was australian not because i you know don't hold the australians in high esteem in a culinary sense although i know nothing about australia the australian culinary scene what shocks me about avocado toast being from Australia is that it doesn't have some sort of a baby talk insane name. It's just <laughs> the ingredients. It's just called avocado toast, right? It's not like slammy shingle or something like this, right? <laughs> like it doesn't have some sort of a goofy ass made up name. Sorry, Australians. <laughs> Crocs eggs on a uh, <laughs> on a rock. Exactly. That yeah. sort of thing. Now, if there is some sort of a... Uh, Shorthand in Australia for avocado toast. I would love to know what it is. Yeah, what would your diner slang be for that? I don't even know. I've I've often wondered about that too. I've never worked in a place that had diner slang, so I don't really understand the necessity for it, unless it always was just a show. But I feel like that comes from an era where you didn't have multiple languages spoken in a kitchen. And so... Because diner slang is just going to make that part of the communication harder. If you've got somebody from Guatemala who's trying to figure out what your code word means for yeah. the thing that's on the menu. Well, it's um, Waffle House, right? That still that has tells you in the menu what what it, things mean. I don't um, know. So I believe it's Waffle House. Um, and then uh, Cincinnati Chili, what is it? The Skyline kind of does, but it's just... You can you go in the, and it's up to up to five maybe you could be like I'd like some chili five ways and it tells ah. you what the ways are and it's like okay well chili one way is just the chili but chili two ways is chili and onions three ways is chili onions and cheese or whatever mm-hmm. and and so it's just you're just adding more stuff but I believe it's it is um and specifically maybe the potatoes um that yeah I want I want them uh oh I'm not even gonna I'm gonna Google it right now pardon the clicks uh. Because I think... I Boil mean, them, if, mash them, stick them in a stew? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> greasy, greasy, grimy gopher guts. Uh, uh, I mean, we've always had necessary shorthand in restaurants where I've worked, right? So, like, at one point when I was at Restaurant B, we offered regular buns and we offered pretzel buns for an upcharge. But we always toasted all the buns for all of our burgers, right? Which makes... Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not toasting the bun for your burger when you make burgers at home, do it. A little bit of butter, cast iron skillet, low heat, or the the pan you're cooking your burgers in makes all the difference in the world. But we would, you know, we'd have five burgers on the grill, and it would be two of them were getting pretzels and two were getting regular buns, and I would yell over to the guy who was working the flat top, I need two pretzels and three Reggies. And three Reggies was three regular buns toasted, but it was just faster. I've never heard diner slang that's faster. So that's the part where I don't understand the 
necessity for it unless somebody just did it because they thought it was funny and then it caught on from there yeah i've only, i think i've only encountered other than waffle house i've only ever encountered it in movies and at waffle house it's for your hash browns so if you ask for them smothered they're sauteed with onions covered okay. is got um a piece of crap a craft single on the top <laughs> chunked is with chunks of bacon or ham uh diced is uh with tomatoes Peppered is jalapenos. Capped is uh, mushrooms. Um, topped is with chili. Country is with gravy poured on the top. And so you could have it, you know, I want it smothered, covered, and chunked. Um, is how you would then say you wanted your uh, hash browns. Um, if you asked for it topped and smothered, that sounds like a sex crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you're asking for it, I feel like the crime has gone away. The y- y- yes, if it's a request and not a it's command. It's just a sex. It's not a sex. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Honestly, topped, smothered, and capped. Right. Like that That sounds like a sex crime. Yeah. Country sounds dubious. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> I want cap- it with a banjo on it. <laughs> yeah. Capped, covered, diced, and, and. Yeah. Topped. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah. I don't know if any diner still. Uh, like still do it um unless maybe it was instead of being bef- uh when uh everyone spoke the same language maybe it's when no no the guy in the back is legit like from greece um and uh these are the only words we're teaching him in english ah okay and there that he is attributing them to the to the thing he's supposed to cook yeah yeah i mean it also could be it could come from a quicker way to write the stuff down on an order pad. Like the 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 brevity of it could come from server uh, shorthand. Because this obviously predates, you know, uh, printer machines and, and computers for putting in orders. Yeah, but then, so here's, according to Mental Floss, um, is it easier to write two poached eggs on toast or is it easier to write Adam and Eve on a raft? <laughs> Um, is it easy to write water or is it easy to write dog soup? Wow. A baked potato or all hot butter or cow paste. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, diners making you less hungry. Uh, milk, moo juice, but milk is, I've heard that one. Milk is less letters. Cow juice, sweet Alice, baby juice also for milk. Um, Seltzer or soda water, belch water, balloon water. <laughs> Blonde with sand is a coffee with cream and sugar. Uh, a hot dog with sauerkraut is a bloodhound in the hay. Yeah, this does sound like somebody, like it got away from somebody. Like they made up a couple of these and then all of a sudden it was expected that they'd make up a bunch more. It's like someone in New York was like, you know what I like is Cockney slang. How can we do that in the <laughs> diner? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhyming slang for everything on your six page menu. Yeah, now if they had to rhyme, that would be something. So when you when you open the fine diner, A, you have to have diner slang, B, it's got to rhyme. Okay. I'll so. make it rhyme in Spanish. I'll go one <laughs> step further. I love it. Although Get my Spanish it. is so bad. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so... Like, any of you who have had to speak Spanish with me out there, I'm so sorry. My Spanish is awful, but I've leaned into it. And it's with people I trust. They're very kind to me at work when I have just shit that I've made up in Spanish-sounding words that are not real words. It's not awesome. 
my kids refuse to speak Spanish at home because they know I'm going to teach them stuff accident uh, wrong, either accidentally or on purpose. <laughs> um, I have an impromptu quiz quiz for you now. Oh, sweet! I'm going to tell you the slang. You have to tell me what it is. <laughs> um, Bronx vanilla. That is uh, straight vodka. <laughs> what if it's got to be something you could get at a diner? Oh, okay, okay. Bronx vanilla. Then that is a bratwurst. What if I said it's also known as Italian perfume? Alfredo sauce. Garlic. Oh, oh, okay. If I tell you to burn one, what am I requesting? According to Mental Floss. Uh, well, now I would say a joint, but I would say probably <laughs> that's a well done piece of meat. I just says put a hamburger on the grill. So, okay. knowing that, if I tell you to burn one, take it through the garden, and pin a rose on it. That is a fully loaded cheeseburger. Um, pin a rose on it. That also has uh, fries. <laughs> this just says a hamburger with lettuce, tomato, and onion. So okay. the garden, I presume, would be lettuce. The rose yeah. would be tomato. I don't know what the onion would be. It's my guess. Uh, well, so that's a thing, too. In Chicago, if you're getting a Chicago dog, you say drag it through the garden, which means put everything on it. And when they say put everything on it, ladies and gentlemen, if you actually enjoy the flavor of hot dogs, and many of us do, if you get a fully loaded Chicago hot dog, you may as well not know there's a hot dog in there because it gets <laughs> tomatoes, onions, relish, a pickle. It gets sport peppers. It gets celery salt. By the time you get this thing, it's a value. It weighs like 15 pounds. <laughs> But there's no hot dog in it, and in fact, you could probably serve that to somebody with no hot dog, and odds are they wouldn't notice. Yeah. Th th that's where you test market your uh, um, faux meat hot dogs. I still say, because it's unnecessary, I still say the fully loaded Chicago dog, sorry Chicago people, was a way to sell hot dogs that either had gone bad or were about to go bad. You ain't tasting it. You don't know. <laughs> and then if you get sick, somebody's going to go, you ate that whole thing? Yeah, you just had too much food. Not, oh yeah, that hot dog's from March of last year. Yeah. And see, it, st it started incrementally. And then someone's like, they, they're saying that they're too tangy. Um, <laughs> tell them it's a sport pepper. And also, start yeah. adding sport peppers. <laughs> like, you get most of a pickle. You get like three quarters of a whole pickle on that hot dog. Yeah. It's, again, ladies and gentlemen, any really heavily spiced meat in particular. So we're talking curry. We're talking anything that goes into a taco. We're talking like any of these traditionally heavily spiced meats. You don't heavily spice something that already tastes good. So either it didn't taste much at all, right? Chicken thighs, things like that. Yeah. Or what it tasted like was not what you wanted your family to know it tasted like so you would heavily spice it i'm not accusing anybody of anything this is how humans have survived we've eaten meat i was about to go bad by throwing a shitload of flavoring on it and then putting that on top of a shitload of rice because you had to feed like 18 <laughs> people at a time you know yeah uh speaking of putting things on things if i asked for dough well done with a cow to cover dough well done with a cow to cover yeah boy that could be a lot of things um i'm gonna say that is a it's an elephant ear with uh <laughs> whipped cream on it i mean that's closer than i would have gotten <laughs> buttered toast is what they say and Jeez. isn't it easier to say buttered toast um this one is kind of fun that you can say 
customer will take a chance or clean up the kitchen or sweep the floor if they've ordered pizza with everything on it hash the supreme pizza oh hash hash with everything on it okay Uh, yeah um you know that's another thing when we talked about just fries we talked about our restaurant just fries yeah there is hash browns are just tiny fries that didn't quite get there right so like there's a lot you can do with using hash browns as a base or mixing things into hash browns and i never do it and i don't know why but sky's the limit you can do whatever you want uh <laughs> all right i don't some of these just seem like people wanted to i don't know uh we know 86 yep um so th- according again this is according to mental floss don't blame me maiden's delight maiden's delight salad no <laughs> so they could ask for uh ice cream uh don't forget maiden's delight with whipped cream on it cherries oh oh okay <laughs> yes yeah. i know it's like what are you doing <laughs> diners thanks a lot mental floss i mean yeah. don't get me wrong diners are as much as i hate stratification of restaurants diners are in the lower part of that and it's in part of who owns them, who works there, and who the clientele is. And I, I, I like I reject that to a certain degree. But you also have to understand that you have to play to your market, right? Which is why you never go to a diner and get really good coffee. Because the people who go to a diner don't give a shit about the coffee. They just want lots of it. And they want it to be like a dollar fifty and free refills, right? So fine, right? You play to your audience. Uh, that's even a step too far. The cherry thing. <laughs> yikes yeah i would not be comfortable yelling that out into the kitchen in a diner yeah especially when uh, uh like if a child just asked for like ice yeah. cream with with the cherry on top or something like that um i feel like a lot of it is depression era kind of stuff as well so maybe uh i mean I, and i feel like coffee doesn't have to be good if you're smoking eight packs of cigarettes fair that's fair. um you know so i don't know there but uh yeah i don't know i don't know if anywhere if uh, listeners if you know if you've been to if you have a diner in your town that is still using like diner slang or has has slang of some kind um i i can understand some things that if they're unique to the restaurant but it's also kind of a um it puts up a barrier i feel like to to people coming in um yeah fresh off the street you then you kind of have to be introduced to it by someone who loves it be like oh come here this is what you order and this is how you order it i i haven't been to denny's in decades but and i never sought out a denny's but i always hated um going into denny's because i thought no you've named these stupid things because you want to laugh at me and i yeah i don't want to order moons over my hammy right you know (laughs) right that's dumb i just want eggs and ham and then in the way that ethnic, particularly ethnic restaurants have gotten around that historically in the States is by numbering the things on the menu. And that's to get around, you know, the uh, communication issues between customer and people in the front of the house, people in the back sure. of the house. I super appreciate that. Like yeah. there's, you go to Folgarelli's, that's just for uh, speed. You could say to them, yeah, I'll take a, a big Guido sandwich or you can just be like i'll take a number 34 straight up right because they've got them all numbered and that's what i said to the lady i was like i'll take a 34 straight up she winked at me <laughs> like she gave me this like a you get it because it was it was like a half an hour 35 minute wait for these sandwiches and every time i go in there they always apologize for the wait, and i'm always like oh no no worth it 
<laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm in it. I'm in yeah. it to win it here. You can tell me it's an hour. I'll go find something to do. I'll come back with these sandwiches. So yeah, when I was just like, I'll take a 34 straight up. She kind of gave me, she gave me a bro nod. She gave me a <laughs> wink and she was like, all right, because that that's all she had to write down, you right. know, which is I'm here to help. And then also she could write that down and she didn't have to be like, okay, what number is that? Yeah. <laughs> Flipping through the book or right. whatever. Right. Yeah. Cause they must have 50 sandwiches at that place. A lot of them don't vary much number to number. But that's also, I can tell that's pressure from people who are like, well, I want the Godfather, but I don't know what Capicola is, so I don't want that. And it's like, so it's that sort of thing. So they've got some that are like, here's the sandwich we made. Here's the like little kid dumb version of it, (laughs) you know, or here's the not spicy version of it. Has it become more difficult? So when, when we were growing up, or at least when I was growing up, like, um, ordering wherever we were ordering and i'm thinking even just the very few times we'd go to burger king or whatever yeah um being someone who didn't like mayo um i would not order it without mayo i would i would request the chicken sandwich or whatever and then i would scrape the mayo off with the french fry like that's that's how it happened so i'm still one of those people that i'll look at something and i'll be like okay if i can't scrape it off i'm gonna order something else like i'm not gonna special order i'm gonna find the thing that that is enough the way that i like it that i'll that i can eat it um and and i'm less picky than i was as a child as well but uh um, I wonder if that has changed if kids growing up now have been taught to, no, no, modify the hell out of whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah. We're starting to see, and I applaud these people, but I worry about their safety. We're starting to see people writing menus where somewhere on the menu it says no modifications. And then what happens is customers will go, well, I want this thing, but I'm allergic to one of the things. And the servers or the cashier or whoever is being instructed to say, order something else. And... That's ballsy. It's gutsy. I appreciate it. But I do worry about the safety of those people. Because, like, there was... I don't have the article in front of me. There was a lady who ordered extra ketchup on a hamburger at uh, Burger King or McDonald's or one of these places where everybody there is making, like, 60 cents an hour. And she went through the drive-thru. She ordered extra ketchup. She was apparently shocked at how much extra they gave her. She took it back and she threw it at the employee at the cash register. And was just screaming about, how am I supposed to eat this? There's so much ketchup on it. And that woman was sentenced to work at a fast food restaurant. That was part of her, like, instead of community service. However, I'm offended that that's a punishment. Like, my job, my career working in food service is this woman's punishment. Now, what's going to happen is she's going to write a book and get a Lifetime movie made about her. Because she's the victim of of whatever. And I kind of hope she gets hit by a truck. But, like that's the wrong message to me that's the wrong message what it should be is they should seize all of her assets sell her house out from under her and give all of that money to the people who are working at that mcdonald's not the management but all of the wage people that's more of a punishment where like everybody else in the country is gonna be like fuck i gotta be nice to these people they'll remove they'll they'll liquidate my bank accounts and they'll sell my house (laughs) and give them to all of these five for 15 people not oh i have to go because do you want to be the person she threw a hamburger at and then she now is your coworker? yeah no 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 you know i i think that the re- the reasoning there is uh but i'm with you i'm like that it 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 uh doesn't have a good look like wait this is this is the punishment the punishment yeah but i think the reasoning there is probably like you think this job is easy so we're gonna prove to you yeah. that it isn't um, and or the only way that you're going to empathize with these people is if you walk a mile in their shoes yeah. sort of a situation. But that that doesn't I mean, 
uh, a jaded week behind the counter at McDonald's does not um, help. You know, that's not going to teach anybody a lesson or not, not the lesson that, uh, and and, uh, like, who's going to take them? Like, they're going to be a good worker for that week. (laughs) Right. And I don't think it was a week. I think it was like months. Yeah. And the other thing is that like, like on the other side of it, let that woman then sue that municipality or county or state or whatever for cruel and unusual punishment. Because yes, let her sue for that. Let her win and let the fast food industry have to change because it turns out that just their regular ass working environment <laughs> is considered and... legally cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> Give me that. Give me that reality. Didn't she also like write like all caps or something? Like it was like some, it, it was like the request led would have led me to believe that yes, she wanted oodles of ketchup. Did they yeah, go overboard? Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably because it seemed like an unreasonable request with all the exclamation marks or curse words or whatever were used in the yeah. uh, in the in the request. So, uh, um, but yeah, of course, then getting uh, receiving what you asked for is of course then um, traumatizing, and you have to go throw it at someone. Yeah, yeah. I once again, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about this kind of a lot, but like. The When you're at a table dining, the server did not set the prices, so that's the wrong person to talk about. If you feel like it is cool for you and it's a good feeling to have that sense of power over the server and you want to berate them, you're, you're, you're being a child. You're doing that to the wrong person. They did not set the prices. If you ask for something that's not on the menu and the server says, no, we don't have that, yelling at the server is never going to help. They don't have a magic pocket full of all of the little bullshitty things that you wanted to get because you wanted to go out to dinner and not make your own food at home. Because guess what? There is one place in the world where you can get everything exactly where you want it and how you want it, and it'll be perfect. That's your fucking house. Yeah. You go to the store, you buy your stuff, you go home and you make it yourself. If you're going to a restaurant and you're paying for somebody else to make the food for you, they're making a particular kind of food, and you've chosen to go to that building, you have to eat the food they're making. Simple as that. Yeah. But yelling at the server is never going to help. And do you really want me or one of my cooks coming out to talk to you? Because you do not. We don't talk. <laughs> we yell. We throw shit. We'll flip your table. We'll, we'll, we'll fuck you up. Uh, it's going to be a bad scene for everybody, right? So just don't do it. Be nice to service workers. Yeah. Simple as that. You are always going to get better service you're going to get better product in fact maybe there is a thing you want that was on the menu a year ago and you're a regular and you're always nice and they're like oh fuck it we can throw that together for you we can do that maybe yeah (laughs) but you're not going to get it if you're just yelling at the server about why don't you have vegan tagliatelle pasta for me at this steakhouse right come on yeah (laughs) so very slowly i'm seeing restaurants turning more toward here is what we make here is how we make it. We're proud of it. We do a good job with it. If you don't want this, you are in the wrong building. I'm seeing that more and more, but it's it makes restaurateurs nervous. It makes chefs and owners very nervous to automatically uh, disallow certain people from the restaurant. Yeah. Um, something else I'm seeing, and I don't. I, I feel like this is uh, a. Uh, it isn't a step forward in terms of. Uh, I mean, it might be helpful for the restaurateurs in some way, but I don't feel like it's a step forward is the, um, like when we went out to do burgers at the place, my, um, in-laws were like, Hey, let's go do burgers at this place. I don't think they had like a composed burger on the menu. It was just like, make your yep. burger. Yep. Uh, um, cause they're like, we're not going to, we're not even going to put forth the effort. Um, tell us what you want and we'll, we'll, this is what we have. What do you want on it? And we'll make that. 
That's um, another solution, which is great. Yeah. Like I, I support that if you are the kind of operation that is flexible enough to do that, and if you narrow your menu pretty well, right? Yeah. Like you said, you offer a burger, you offer a veggie burger, possibly like a turkey burger, something like that, and then you have a list of shit you can put on top of there, and then you have a bunch of different fries. Great. If you are a full-service restaurant that makes individual dishes where they don't have a lot of crossover and ingredients, yeah, you don't want to mess with those things. You've crafted them on purpose. So, yeah, yeah I can see I can see restaurants eventually becoming those two things. It's either everything's a la carte and you're building your own shit all the time, or you go in and there's no mods allowed. Yeah. It's the Subway model. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, it's like pick your bread, pick your meat, pick your toppings. Yeah. Um or it's it's uh no no. Um this is the uh you know uh th- this is the prepackaged not prepackaged but you know what i mean this is this is the composed the yeah. composed dish and no you can't have the uh the pasta from this dish over here on this and whatever whatever yeah i mean it would be fun and i would be shocked if this doesn't exist somewhere to open a restaurant called no mods <laughs> no mods bistro and that's the thing whatever's on the menu that is exactly what you're gonna get and if you want to change it you go home go yeah. away i mean i guess if you're if, allergic if you're allergic to the fennel that's on the salmon dish don't order the salmon dish yeah that's the uh the um awesome thing about automats right or what the ones that yeah. the, the conveyor belt is because like you don't get an order it's just if it looks good and you take it then guess that it, it, it's, it's yours yeah. now <laughs> yeah it's in. one thing i have seen but i don't believe this technology is widespread because there are people they tend to be karens or old people who hate the idea of walking up to a restaurant, sitting down at a table, and you scan a QR code to get the menu. I love it. I think it's great. There's one step further, which is you scan the QR code to get the menu, and the menu is active, and you place your order on that. Love that. Yeah. Love that even more. So that's two steps in a direction that I like. The third step is some of those have a little tab where you can highlight allergens. You can say, you can bring the menu up, you can get ready to order, and you can go, oh... I can't have almonds. And so you click almonds and it won't let you order the things that contain almonds. It doesn't give you an option to then mod the fuck out of the almond salad. Yeah. (laughs) It just says, okay, you clicked almonds. You can't have that one. You cannot even try to order that dish. I triple love that. Yeah. Give me that all day. Yeah. Just removes them from the menu and you don't even like it. So this does several things at once. One of the things is that it legitimately takes away that extra step, that point of failure where you as a customer say to your server, I want this thing, and the server writes it down, and the server could get it wrong, right? So it takes that away. You've placed your own order, you're responsible for it as a customer. You've said, this is what I want, and I'm communicating that directly to the kitchen. Then it also does not give you the opportunity to go, but I want it with this, and I don't like that sauce, and can I get this on the side? Nope, you don't get to do that. You click one button, and it says, you've ordered this thing. Fucking great. Give me that all day. Absolutely. All of this came from avocado toast somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ultimately customizable avocado toast. <laughs> Holy smokes, it's been an hour ten already. This is great. Uh, I do want to go back to our conversation we had before the end of the year where we talked about trends and stuff. Okay. And talk about things that we want to see going away in the new year and i had something that i wanted to start with and now i forget what it was 
<laughs> but I sent you this article. Pinterest says this food trend will bring big comfort in 2024, and I'm here for it. Mayo Quinn, who wrote this book, M-Y-O, I'm sure maybe it's Mio. Uh, I disagree. Because this trend is all about bowls. And it's not that I don't like the idea of a bowl. It's that this is about, um, like, combo bowls. Quote from the article, Melt in your mouth, but make it a double. This trend takes two ooey-gooey treat-yourself favorites and marries them to make mouth-watering melty mashups, like, quote, burger quesadillas and, quote, pizza pot pies, to which I say amen. No thank you to any of that, and also everybody <laughs> needs to stop fucking with stuff. Yeah. Okay? <clears throat> I'm looking at these things. Lasagna soup. Meatball sub soup. Chicken pot pie soup. Chicken pot pie is already a soup, goddammit. <laughs> Teriyaki chicken noodle soup. That's the only one that even looks remotely appropriate. Uh, no. The whole idea of taking two things that exist separately putting them in a bowl and saying yay i've invented something go away i hate everything about that well what they've invented is something for instagram i think uh -huh. more often than not um yeah even even i mean it can continues as casseroles part of it because pizza lasagna is i mean that that's not pizza um well yeah pizza lasagna is just lasagna with pepperoni in it that's marketing yeah cheeseburger casserole that one might actually work especially because to be a casserole you have to put tater tots on top of it kind of here for that but i feel like that one doesn't count if it was like swedish fish cheeseburger casserole or something like that you know yeah. deep south <laughs> cheeseburger casserole i bagel breakfast casserole no gross yeah chili mac and cheese uh it's been around for a while yeah chili that's mac? just chili mac and cheese yeah one, one pot taco pasta yeah fuck off that's what about that would be a taco nothing is that the image yeah. below as well because that's nachos <laughs> yeah that's nachos elise bauer where's pa there's no pasta in there um so oh no that that may be mexican street corn nachos oh okay oh which yeah is the you're next right. uh step down sorry elise bauer those look great but that's just nachos like that's not i don't know okay so grilled, this grilled cheese blt yes I've made it. It's just a sandwich. That's not some sort of a weird mashup, and it's not in a bowl. So what are you people even doing? Ben, what makes a taco a taco? It's in a tortilla. Yeah. So I'm looking at this now because they're clickable. Uh -oh. The one-pot taco pasta is goulash. It is a, <laughs> it is a version of goulash. So that... if you were to take regular pasta with meat sauce and put cumin in it, is it one-pot taco pasta? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So this feels very forced. It feels very dumb. It feels like someone had a deadline to write the dumbest article of 2024 and they figured it out. <laughs> you know, you know what I think this is, and I, we'd have to do some deep diving that we probably won't get into. But I believe the the company that created Instapot was like having some trouble. So <laughs> this is their, uh, hey, one pot, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe it's so an Instapot. Under sandwiches, snacks, and sides, they have bagel dogs. You can buy bagel dogs frozen. <laughs> bagel dogs have only been around for like 900 years. This is nothing new. Yeah. This is what I hate about the like, these are the trends we see coming. No, you don't. You're trying to force this to be a trend because, uh, you know, whoever makes bagel dogs, craft wants you to sell bagel dogs, simply recipes. Ugh. I feel and bad for the people who had to write this. 
what is pizza? Well, they someone else had to write all these recipes. What is pizza yeah. salad? Pizza salad is what happens when you take all the best pizza toppings and use lettuce as opposed to crust as a vehicle to get those toppings from plate to your mouth. So it's a salad. It's a salad salad. Yeah, yeah that's what it's a salad is. It's just a salad. Because you know In what fact, you can do with pepperoni is put it on an effing salad. Yeah, that's already called a chef's salad. Yeah. That's what that like, and every pizza place in the world has it because yep. they have those same ingredients to go on pizza because they also decided, hey, we could make salads. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but did you swap the mozzarella, uh, swap fresh mozzarella, um, mozzarella balls for shredded mozzarella cheese? <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Thanks, uh, DeJoya, for uh, supporting this article. <laughs> awesome food trends we yeah. hope go away pinterest so i mean there's that too but the so pinterest is the original instagram it's the original like okay well i'm gonna make something that just looks good right and yeah and really doesn't have any uh, value to it so i had sent you now i remember the food trend that i wanted to go away steve have you ever encountered a butterboard no I, we talked about this once a while ago yeah. did you have you encountered one no i have not so the idea of Taking something that is is better off in a bowl, a, a whipped butter, and you're serving it with breads and um, I don't even so I still don't really understand what the fuck a butterboard is all about anyway. But the idea, this overwhelming idea that happened toward the end of 2023 of like, okay, I'm gonna take either a giant cutting board or like a countertop, and I'm gonna spread something on it, and then everybody can just dip into it because what we want to do now is give everybody herpes at the same time. <laughs> I know that's not how you get herpes, but you know what I'm saying. It's how you get hep A. Right, 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 right. Or E. coli, or whatever it is, because somebody in that room is sneezing, and it's landing on that butter, and it's just going to sit there waiting for you to show up. Yeah. So the idea of taking, and I've seen where people have taken pasta, and they've put hot pasta on a countertop, and just poured sauce over it, and everybody gets to grab it. Same thing with nachos. Just the dumbest white people wasting food shit you've ever seen in your life and i've seen it a bunch yes because i follow a bunch of people on instagram who look for those videos to make fun of them right there's a guy i don't know his name he goes by chef reactions and it's amazing to watch him just roast people who are <laughs> doing these things right i saw a picture that i sent to you oh yeah you, which oh, so is it was uh, just the picture you weren't actually yeah. there okay no, i was not there was i don't know if i don't believe this was sent to me but i think I don't know how I came across it. It is a black tablecloth covered table with plates. And there is a Caesar salad fully dressed just on the table, on in contact with the tablecloth. Next. Well, I, I, I think it bears uh, noting that it's, it's like on the seam between two tables. It really is. Yeah. It's on the seam between two. You can see the difference in color of the two tablecloths. Then there are diced up. Now, okay, let me, let me go back a little bit. I love a charcuterie platter. So does pants. Yes. Give me a charcuterie platter any day of the week with different sliced salamis, cheeses, jams, butter, breads, nuts, all that kind of stuff. I will take that all day, every day. This is something different. This is stuff that would be better handled in a bowl, in a container, in a jar, just on a surface, a dubiously clean surface. Steve stepped away to handle pants. I think I'm going to stop talking, wait till he gets back. I don't... He's not being cruel to that dog, but he is encouraging the dog to, to mosey. What'd I miss? <laughs> not much. I decided to wait. 
Oh, okay. So looking further down this, and I, I, I sent this picture to Steve. Ideally, he'll put it up on the, uh, on the Facebook. Um, looking further down, there are large diced up cheese. Uh, it looks like a cheddar and some sort of a white cheese and then like a blue Stilton kind of a thing. Then he immediately goes into pineapple, cantaloupe, honeydew. And then beyond that, there appears to be some sort of a dip in a bowl, which is great. I'm glad that's in a bowl. <laughs> and then it's probably hummus or something like that. And then just a pile of dinner rolls. Again, on the tablecloth. Like right on the tablecloth. Uh, I looked and there are there are labels, which is nice. There are labels, you know, for the Caesar salad and whatever. And they do not look at all like the labels my company produces. So I'm pretty sure I'm not roasting <laughs> any of my coworkers. But that is fucking disgusting. You cannot convince me. You can get a countertop or a tablecloth clean enough that you can put food directly in contact with it to serve. Right? I know what's been on my counter. I sit on my counter sometimes. You do not want to put servable food directly on that. And there's a good reason for it, which is that you're not heating it up beyond the temperature at which bacteria die before you eat it. Those are RTEs. Those are ready-to-eat foods. You cannot serve them on untreated barn wood that you just spread butter on. You know, like, don't yeah. do that. So there's a trend I want to have go away. Taking a large, dubiously clean surface and spreading shit on it. Well, and... No. Also of note, so um, when we redid our kitchen, we were, you know, trying to save some money. So we made our own countertops instead of getting countertops. Uh, and like Ben said, you cannot put your counter through the dish machine <laughs> to get it to sterilized. But also when we made our own, there is uh, polyurethane that you get that is food safe that you yeah. need to look for. Not all polyurethane is food safe. I think we just use regular polyurethane because we don't we have cutting boards. We're not cutting anything yeah. on the countertop. Um, but the the these tablecloths, who knows what they were washed in when when they were washed? They look gross right now. Yeah. And then if it was just on your barn wood, no, you're gonna get what lead paint in your food or whatever. I mean, it's not about the looks. It's about safety at some point. Yeah. And there's a reason that some rules exist. And yeah, my when I look at this, the first thing I think is five second rule is way over. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about the five-second rule. That's perfect. I don't want food served on carpet, and that's basically what this is. Right. Right, exactly. And I don't, like, so I'm, I'm 45. I've reached a point in my life where I get to make decisions for myself like an adult. I'm probably 20 years behind that realization. I don't care what event it is. I don't care who invited me. I don't care who's standing in front and behind me in line. I am not eating any of that food. I'm not touching it. And I have eaten very questionable stuff like every other <laughs> chef out there all the best food i've ever eaten in my life 85 percent of it has been eaten cold standing over a garbage can in the kitchen right yeah because you eat it's like oh there wasn't enough foie mousse to fill up all of these little ramekins that were then putting like a, a apricot aspic on top of to seal them there's like three tablespoons left so you've got a pastry bag and you're piping it onto a piece of bread and you're eating it as fast as you can so the pastry chef doesn't see you. And then you go, oh, all done. We used it all up. <laughs> that kind of thing. But I didn't pipe it onto the back cover of a toilet tank and then put a bunch of croutons around it for people to eat. Yeah. Nah. Ugh. 
this is more of that because I th- they've gone dark. I don't know why, but there was an Instagram called Give Us Plates for the longest time that would show pictures of people at restaurants serving food in like a shovel or in a shopping cart, you know, just like the stupidest stuff that would make it difficult to eat. That was stuff you couldn't possibly clean appropriately, like hubcaps and things like that. Uh, they, they must've run out of material or something, but I want them to come back and start doing these pictures. Right. Yeah. I don't want a breakfast buffet where you've spread cream cheese on a tablecloth and put bagel chips next to it. Uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. There are individually packaged cream cheeses for a reason. Cause that shit is very spoilable. You yeah. don't want that. I don't, I don't, don't touch it. Don't even look at it. And this, I mean, this doesn't even look good. Yeah. So if it was, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand the rationale to, to so you don't have to wash the hotel pan that you would have put the salad in. Uh, I guess. I mean, ideally you're serving it like in a big bowl or a platter or something, but uh, you, maybe, maybe their dishwasher broke and they said, you know what? We're just going to serve this on top of our uh linen which is gonna have lint it's gonna have little stray hairs in it it's gonna be gross it's not a food service surface yeah at all uh where i'd it much is. rather as tacky as it would be i would much rather see a two-inch hotel pan full of caesar than <laughs> that yeah um i uh, hope they're shut down <laughs> unless i i've maybe this is like uh um somebody's like graduation or something you know maybe it's some something that somebody right. did at at home or whatever but uh it's revolting yeah i mean it's one step away so keep in mind what your guests are gonna see that's one step away from just serving everything in one long trough like you're feeding pigs yes yeah and in fact that depending on the trough might be a shade saver yeah and that you could get away with depending on the theme of your restaurant there's that place i, I don't know if it's still around it might be because there are a lot of strange, kitschy places in Japan, but there was a place that served like the whatever the soup was or the, the their bowls in toilet bowls. Yeah, that's um, but, but those were I don't think they were actual toilet bowls because that'd be way too much food. Yeah. Um, if that was but so but but yeah okay so that's your that's your kitsch that's your thing that's going to bring the tourists in so people can get pictures of themselves eating something out of a toilet bowl great whatever so maybe it's the same is true for a trough, um, but uh, this this doesn't even have that value. You could save time and serve your taco pasta in a toilet. <laughs> you just seat it on one as you eat. <laughs> it's a, uh, what, so what was gross. the herb juice? It's a pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Miller's herb juice. As a, as a shooter to go along with your taco pasta in a toilet. Yeah. So gross. And we know what shooter stands for or means in this <laughs> scenario. <laughs> So yeah, ladies and gentlemen, butterboards can go away. You know what this is, Ben? This is in real picture. This is cover for table salad murder. Oh, there you go. Yeah, tables, table Caesar salad murder. Yeah. <laughs> Already one more word, one more interesting yeah. word than any of those other uh, titles had. Also, the thing about a butterboard that really bothers me is if I'm serving butter and it's the thing, like let's say I've got three different kinds of bread and I'm like, I'm going to serve a couple of jams and some butter. I am also going to make two or three different kinds of compound butters. And you can't do that as a smear. They're all going to get mixed together. You put them in little jars or some sort of a thing that's going to display them well, as opposed to like, here's your butter, assholes. Right? Like that's not, (laughs) that's no way to, you eat with your eyes first, right? Do I want to see a giant smear? Butter assholes. That's going to be on the menu for 2024. Well, what was that restaurant where the the 
chef made everybody eat one of the courses oh. out of a porcelain mouth. Yeah, that was his. Yeah. Yeah. That, so yeah, porcelain asshole for uh, butter service. There you go. Well, the other thing that a butterboard and this too does is like you you don't you're not scraping this off the tablecloth to go put it in a soup later, right? To try to reuse it. It's like all of that's garbage oh, no. now. Yeah, that's all garbage. It was garbage the minute it hit the tablecloth, but yeah, like you're not reusing it either. Yeah, so like a butterboard too, you're not scraping the board to get your butter back if no. if there's to try to use in some other recipe or something, right? So it's wasteful as well. Now, let me say this part though, because I'm sure I'll get some heat for this. Let's say you're at a restaurant that has butter service with bread and it's a wee little board that has just like uh, like one of those where they put a, a mound of butter on and then kind of spread it just a little bit so it kind of tapers. And that's part of you've got pickles on there, you've got a jam, whatever, and it all goes with your bread. Okay, fine. What really gets me about the butterboard thing is that it's like a 15-foot long tabletop that's covered in 22 pounds of butter. That's just gross. That's only good health wise for like three minutes or until somebody goes over there and coughs right but if it's just <laughs> four of you at a table and that's the butter for just the four of you and there's a certain yeah, amount yeah. Of understanding like it's the crowd aspect to me you know that's the part that bothers me somebody yeah, the, in that room is sick and they're gonna get everybody else sick too the old country butterboard <laughs> right like would you eat a butterboard if it was part of a buffet at yeah old country buffet no you would not yeah go to Bonanza and they've got like 15 feet of butter. No, you're not going <laughs> to dip into that. That would be a butter Bonanza though. <laughs> Gross. And I'm a big fan of butter. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like I, that's one of those things. I'm not sharing butter with a large group of other people. Well, it's only, too much danger there. It's only cool if you're the first person, because can you imagine being the last person in line Ugh. for the butterboard and you look yeah. and there's just, oodles of different kinds of crackers broken off in the butter yeah. and vegetable bits and what i mean hair and dust and is that fuzz. what you're supposed to do is like scoop it with your thing versus yeah. like using a utensil of some kind yep um yeah someone's written words in the butter with their finger um yeah. no oh yeah especially oh, if there are kids at that party you keep me away from that butter board because somebody has put their whole hand in it no yeah. question accidentally because they were going to lean on the table <laughs> no I, I in my head it was a kid who couldn't see over the top of the table and just went whack, uh, <laughs> put their whole hand right in there just grabbed a whole bunch of butter <laughs> so this this applies to everything that you're serving like on a plank so if it's butter if it's guacamole if it's if you're one of these monsters that does pasta like that like any of that stuff it just needs to go away servings family style fine like little crocs of things and whatever but uh, you don't have that many friends that you need to make a butterboard. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. It bothers me. And it, I really do. I agree with you. I think this is the natural outcome of this whole Instagram food culture, which is like, how do I make a splash? How do I become memorable? And it's always brighter or bigger. And the yeah. butterboard is the bigger part of it. And it's yeah. always people in like Texas who have one of those prefab giant kitchens that's like the big marble island in the middle of it. And like their kitchen is the size of a $7,000 a month New York apartment. And they're the ones who are spending $400 to just put hot pasta on a countertop and then throw it away later. They have to justify the size of the kitchen somehow. And if it's not yeah. putting oodles of food on giant planks, then what are you going to yeah. do? Gross. So that can go away <laughs> for this year. 
<laughs> I agreed. Yes. Any other trends you want to see go away as long as we're on the topic? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I encountered that many this year. I did see somewhere on a list someone said that the uh, the faux meat could go away. <laughs> like they were hoping that the uh, uh, vegetable vegetable meat, uh, the you know the so. I I don't really have a strong opinion. Me either. I just I, I understand the necessity for the marketing being sort of like morality based, but that's the only part of it that bothers me. Cause if somebody wants to eat a quote hamburger, that's made out of like beets and mushrooms and chickpeas, that's fine. I don't really care, but it's the marketing of it, which is, this is healthier. This is better for the environment. This is morally superior. I reject all of that because there's, when you look into it, yeah, cows are very wasteful as far as feed and water and methane production and stuff like that, but you can't make anything out of nothing. So by the time you get to TVP, which is the dry soy isolate powder you get out of uh, tofu, right, soybeans, there's been a lot of water to grow those plants, transportation issues, you have to highly process them. It's not morally superior. It's not better for the environment. They're not better for you necessarily, unless you have a heart condition and you can't have red meat, in which case, great. I'm glad that's an option for you. Yeah. Don't make me feel bad about my steak because it's not going to work. I'm not going to feel bad about my steak. So by the end of it, you're going to feel bad because you're going to fail in making me feel bad about it. So that's the part that I want to see go away. Have really good plant-based burgers and whatever. Don't tell me that I'm a bad person for not eating them. Would you feel bad about your steak if um, when they gave you the steak, they told you the animal's name? That would make it better. What if the they gave the animal animals people names? Yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, if they're like this cow's name was that was Alice, I'd be like, awesome, thank you for your service, Alice. <laughs> and that's uh, you'd like what uh, three pounds of Frank? Okay, three, uh, three, three ground pounds of Frank. I have no emotional connection to animals at all. I really like maybe that makes me a sociopath. I don't know, but like even the pets that we've had, they've died. I, I'm not happy to see them. Dead, not immediately. Like, they didn't die immediately. He's <laughs> yeah, saying true. that eventually. Our two cats died of being very old. One was 18 and one was 17. That's a long time for a cat to live. I'm not much of a dog guy. Like the chickens I dig, but they're more like employees than they are pets. Like whatever. I don't. I draw a very clear line between human beings who I have attachments to and who I care about and like animals. Animals. If they want me to care about them, they need to convince me. And they haven't because they're all dumb, <laughs> which is fine. Some of them are dumb and very tasty. They have jobs. They do their jobs, whatever. But you're not going to get me to feel bad about it. No way. Yeah. And I'm not disassociated from the animals either. Like people always say, oh, well, if you're more connected to your food, then you have more, you know, of an emotional attachment. Nope. I've got chickens that live in my house. Man, I eat their eggs. I'm going to eat their eggs today. This is their <laughs> unborn babies. Just going to eat them. <laughs> I know I, I they they perform a vital service and I appreciate it but I'm not emotionally attached to them. Yeah. Um Yeah, I, I can, have looked I, I've looked deep into a cow's eyes. They are the dumbest creatures you could possibly meet. There's nothing going on back there. I have no It's not that I don't have sympathy for them. I want these animals to be treated well while they're alive cuz they are living creatures. But, man, they're not curing cancer. They're not, you know, splitting the atom and figuring out quantum teleportation and stuff. They're they're there to take food I don't want to eat and turn it into food I do want to eat. That's their <laughs> whole job. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's a trend I could get rid of it, it would be the emotional manipulation on either end of the spectrum in terms Fair. of... Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I've been programmed. If I hear... Uh, 
Copeland's hoedown, I immediately want to have a burger because beef, it's what's for dinner, right? <laughs> like that's programming, that's social programming. That piece of music meant nothing to me before they associated it with beef. Yeah. And now inextricable i cannot get those two things apart (laughs) success on the uh, advertisers part yep yep great job aaron copeland um here's the american beef council yeah yes uh here's a trend that i think could go away as well uh, which i didn't even know existed until you sent me some screenshots which would be uh kitchen hazing Oh man, yeah. Let's let's wrap up with this. We have a couple of articles to talk about, but we can do that next week because they're both bad news. Oh man. So, ladies and gentlemen, if any of you were ever uh, concerned about kitchens becoming too nice, no. <laughs> this is from France24.com, which for me sounds like an AM radio show. <laughs> top top French chef quits luxury hotel after troubling hazing incident. Troubling is in quotes. I don't think it needs to be in quotes. Yeah, I know. It doesn't need... You don't need this the scare quotes. A French star chef has abruptly quit his luxury hotel job after a hazing in which a kitchen hand was reportedly tied up naked and humiliated, the hotel chain said Thursday. Oh, Steve, how do you want to pronounce his name? Uh, uh... Aurelien um, Largeau. Oh, sure. 31 years old, who has a coveted Michelin star to his name ran the restaurant of the prestigious Hotel du Palais in Biarritz, southwestern France. Have I been to Biarritz? Why do I know that town? Biarritz. It's near, I want to say Biarritz is near a town that I've been to, but I don't recall. There's another town that starts with B that's right in that same area. Until uh, last week when he suddenly left. A spokeswoman for the hotel owners, uh, Hyatt, told the AFP... AFP. It's probably a French newspaper. That the management had been informed of a troubling incident, footage of which had been shared online. So, a kitchen hand. So, you're talking about like a uh, stagiaire or um, prep guy. Essentially, I forget exactly what the word is in French for that. But just somebody who is there to uh, do basic sort of menial labor prep, right? Like you're tipping green beans and you're peeling potatoes and stuff was tied to a chair naked for hours with an apple in his mouth and a carrot in his anus with all the chefs, known as the Kitchen Brigade, looking on, including you know, Largeau. The way this is punctuated, it almost reads that, with a carrot in his anus with all the chefs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. The next paragraph is one sentence, which is, the footage has since been removed from the internet. So, two things about that. First off, no, it hasn't. Right. No, I have no, not seen this, but yeah, nothing ever leaves the internet once it's there. The second thing is, not only was this done to this person, it was done with the full cooperation and the blessing of the chef, but it was filmed and immediately put online. That, to me, the hazing is its own thing. The immediately putting it online, that's the crime. Because, like we just said, that does not go away. Mm-hmm. Um, this, so a Hyatt spokeswoman said this incident does not reflect the values that we defend. We have undertaken an investigation and, ha- uh, have taken the appropriate decisions. She said, but I it does that... not sound like, go ahead. Oh, I know this is probably a translational thing, but it, I do think it's funny that it's, this incident does not reflect the values that we defend. It reflects the values we don't defend. <laughs> right, right. 
We have this whole other set of values. We just don't talk about them. Yeah, we just don't defend them. They're indefensible. We have them. Yeah. Um, Anyway, what were you going to say? Oh, taking the appropriate decisions. This article does not say the chef was fired. This says the chef left. Yes. So this chef quit. I don't know the rules about Michelin stars, but I presume if you have to fire the chef, your location loses their Michelin star. I also presume that as a chef who holds a Michelin star, if you get fired from that place, you probably also lose your star. So if you quit, because people quit jobs, you probably get to keep your star and the restaurant probably does as well. I don't know the rules. I don't know if Michelin is going to call them up and be like, did you take the carrot out yet? Because we can't come and re-inspect you until you do. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that I'll ever end up there, but I'm not having the carrot. Right. So, further on in this uh, article, hazing is banned under French law, but reports say the practice still occurs in French restaurants. It is sometimes defended as a test of whether junior staff can handle the pressures of the job. Yes, that is the kind of hazing that happens in restaurants. This is so far beyond the pale. And it makes me wonder what, quote, pressures of the job you're testing someone to see if they can handle it by sticking a carrot up their butt. What further pressure later on does that represent right yeah is this or is this the carrot in the butt restaurant and nobody knows it like that's just the thing you have to do that's part of your uniform well it sounds like specifically they're talking about peer pressure and uh being coerced into doing things yeah. and whether or not you can you can put up with that but uh yeah uh, this is I another mean, one of these things where like everybody knows it's wrong but they didn't do anything till they got caught classic restaurants yeah is i mean were you ever in a kitchen where anything remotely similar to this took place? Not in a hazing sense. We had a bunch of people get fired from a restaurant where I worked in Kalamazoo because the kitchen staff, after it was called the Valentine's Day Massacre, after a Valentine's Day service, there were a bunch of open bottles of champagne. And so the kitchen crew, I had been sent home early, which was awesome for me. The kitchen crew got drunk and they did a bunch of stuff like that. So one of the guys took a pastry bag full of whipped cream and filled up the sleeve of the sous chef's winter jacket that was hanging by the back. There was like cream pie to the face kind of stuff, like pranks more than hazing. Right, right. So no, I've never encountered anything like that. The hazing that I've seen has always been like, you steal somebody's knives and you see how long it takes them to quote man up and demand their knives back. You hide somebody's shoes. It's a lot of just sort of like fucking with them kind of stuff, not physical like injury and humiliation kind of stuff like that. And this is like fraternity hazing kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it just surprises me that it'd be taking place in a French restaurant and a French Michelin starred restaurant. Yeah. As well, and that they have an issue with it um, because they have campaigns against violence in kitchens in recent yeah. years, including one called, quote, hands off my kitchen hand, and another that's, quote, respect your kitchen. Like, it's that big of a issue in France, the hazing, that, I mean, it's all a power thing, right? It's, yeah. you you need to know who's in power, we're in power, you're not in power, and we're going to keep it that way because we're not the ones with the carrot up our butt. Right. That's exactly what it is. So, the, there's a lot going on there at one time. But this goes back to that sense of there are two ways to run a kitchen, right? One way, mutual respect, 
giving your staff all the information they need, supporting them when things happen, supporting them when things don't happen, praise, stuff like that, or fear, right? Clearly, this is a fear-based restaurant. Clearly, this is a tyrannical chef who runs his operation through fear and through intimidation and through, like, if you don't do what I want here, you either can't put me on your resume or I will poison your career. That kind of thing, right? That's the only way that you get to a position where you feel like something like this is not only appropriate, but what you do on the regular. Because there's no way this one hazing incident was the only one. Right. This is the one where they got caught. Yeah. And so this is probably business as usual for this guy. And as much as I don't want to say it, it's all top down. So no matter if his sous chef was doing this or whoever was in charge of the prep kitchen was the one doing this, it is still the chef's fault. The chef is responsible for everybody in that place. And so uh, not, uh, not stopping it is tacit approval of it. Yes, absolutely. And so, like, yeah, if you want to be the chef who's got the Michelin star, if you want to be the chef whose name is in the paper and who has a picture of you tweezing some bullshit on top of an appetizer, fine, you can have all those things, but with it comes the responsibility of everything that goes wrong is still your fault and will always be your fault. So this, the fella quit. Well, I don't know anything about him. I don't really care, but... If he gets to keep his Michelin star, that's just another nail in the Michelin is kind of bullshit coffin. Yeah. Because if you are giving a chef a Michelin star, to be completely honest, it shouldn't really be about the food. So much of what Michelin looks at is the thread count in the linens, you know, how long it takes to get a reservation, front of the house shit, all this kind of stuff. So little of it is about the food. And if you're the chef who has the Michelin star, one of the things they should really be looking at is how you take care of your staff. And if they're not, yeah, again, another nail in the Michelin is kind of bullshit coffin. Yeah. I mean, it's no slamming doors, but uh, hopefully he wouldn't get a James Beard Award either. Right. And I mean, one of the things Michelin should probably look at, any of these rating systems should look at, is employee turnover. Like, how long has your newest staff member been there? How long has your longest term staff member been there there should be a rubric for that which is like you clearly run a kitchen where people want to work they want to stay they feel fulfilled your staff have been with you everybody on your staff has been with you between five and ten years that's that would be amazing that would be bonkers for a restaurant that's the kind of behavior we should be rewarding not how many guys did you have sit tied to a chair with a carrot in their ass right or i mean you you can track that stuff just track it on the other side of the ledger yeah like yes you get, you get a mark off for that what would be the opposite of a Michelin star at uh, uh, Tire Track? Look, what, what's the Razzies for fancy restaurants? Oh man, yeah. we might have to we might have to invent that one ourselves. Yeah. The Batalis. <laughs> I did not get to his bakery when I was in Traverse City uh, on purpose. Yeah. Because fuck that guy and fuck his attempted comeback. We could just call it the All Ease. nice so there is that thing which is the question of course is why did that kitchen hand allow that to happen to him why did he sit there for all that amount of time and it comes down to that it comes down to bullying it comes down to being tricked into thinking that if you don't have this job for a certain amount of time your career is poisoned it comes down to possibly the chef saying you say anything about this and you've violated this brotherhood of the kitchen some made up shit like that right and so you get 
brainwashed you get programmed you start to feel like if you don't excel at this particular job for this particular person you will not have whatever the next job is and so you endure that kind of stuff and man am i glad people are pushing back against that now yeah like when all of the workers at uh noma finally said hey you know be cool as if you fucking paid us because you keep telling everybody in the world that you're the best chef of all time but we're the ones doing all this work and then suddenly they were like oh we can't uh can't operate with this model anymore fine dining's dying it's like no if you actually have to take care of your people, you don't get to be this head in the clouds, oh, I'm so awesome kind of guy. Like, if the if you actually have to pay for the work, then, and I value your people, then you don't get to do the crazy shit that you do. Boo-hoo for you, right? So I'm yeah. glad people are finally starting to see that, and that's changing. Yeah, and, and um, fi- you can't just substitute fine dining for indentured servitude and say that fine dining is dying. Indentured servitude, hopefully, is dying. Right. Um, Stashing should be like flat illegal there are like regulations around it but nobody is enforcing it it all has to be self-reported so like if and and you have to agree to a stash so some people do see that as like a jumping off point and it's like yeah but you're also devaluing yourself and you're allowing someone else to help you devalue yourself yeah it's gross that and who knew that in interviews you needed to ask what is the carrot for <laughs> right you sit down for an interview and the chef's got a copy of your resume and an apple and a carrot yeah i thought it was supposed to be carrot and stick right yeah. I, I guess <laughs> yes different different uh different metaphor and in that metaphor i never realized that that's what the carrot was for. <laughs> <laughs> they both seem bad now i'm gonna put a i'm gonna put a carrot in your ass i'm gonna hit you with this stick <laughs> yeah. get back to work yikes yeah, we 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 uh we believe in the carrot and stick method here at the Hyatt. <laughs> <laughs> Yowzer. All right, but that pretty much finishes me up for today, Steve. I'm starving now that I've been thinking about eggs and not carrots. Uh, I'm gonna have corned beef. Ha- oh, I made uh, as soon as we got back from vacation because I couldn't stop myself. I made bread. Because I owe a friend of mine did me a favor, so I'm going to give him a loaf of bread. But I have the San Francisco sourdough starter that I bought from Cultures for Health, and that thing is just rocking and rolling. So I made two loaves. One of then they both have um, toasted mixed nuts in them, as well as dried cranberries. Awesome bread. The other one is the starter that I made up out of uh, Kernza flour, which is a perennial wheat variety. And that thing is going bonkers. And so I made baguettes out of that. So I'm going to have corned beef hash and eggs and uh, sourdough baguette toast for nice. lunch now that it's like 1230 in the afternoon. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And that's going to be the rest of my day. I might have to take a nap after that. It sounds like a big <laughs> meal. All right. Cool. But I think that's it for me, Steve. How about you? Yeah, ditto. I also need to eat. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have experienced hazing, first off, I would like to apologize for my entire industry. We're awful. It's well known. Sorry that that happened to you. But if you have a a story you'd like to share, feel free to reach out. um, InTheWeedsWBR at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of us for like a long form thing. You will find pictures of all of my bread and stuff uh, because I am still a child. So there's a lot of stuff on there that's sort of um, funny to me. Don't know if it's necessarily (laughs) always funny. But that's uh, Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. And we have a website Steve runs for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Yeah, where you can find the any of the articles that we don't have to pay for. Because yeah, we devalue <laughs> journalism on this show. I do like free uh, articles. 
But any of the stuff we talk about on the show, if you want to have a deeper dive, Steve puts those articles up on the website. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it for me today. Cool. Ditto. For In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall. And I'm Steve Cadwell. Talk at you next week. Bye-bye.